Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about Michigan State's dominating 62-41 victory over Ohio State in Columbus today on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, before we begin, I just want to talk to you about our sponsor of the show. Our first sponsor is Nudge Printing, nudgeprinting.com. You can be found there to get all your Spartan apparel and uh, decals for like cornhole or for your car or computer screen, computer, not the screen. <laughs> That'd be a bad idea. <laughs> the outside of your computer, obviously. Uh, and uh, other schools are available too. So high quality screen printed materials. Their shirts are um, polyester and cotton and they're really soft. They're actually really wearable. Uh, this is the same thing if you got shirts from us it, before. This the same high quality, really soft, comfortable shirts. Really good screen printing. Other schools in Michigan too, outside of the University of Michigan. You get Alma, Calvin, CMU, EMU, Western, all the northern schools, Lake State, Michigan Tech, uh, and Saginaw Valley State, Oakland, Wayne State. So all those things are available in addition to a number of other schools around the country. Check them out at nudgeprinting.com. Uh, you won't be sorry you did. And you can get 20% off your order if you enter the coupon code final four at checkout. And we're also excited to introduce our second sponsor of the show. New sponsor is brothers that just do gutters. Uh, so this is a, this is one that I, they actually installed my gutters. And so I have to talk about their great company. I don't know what it's like at your house, but the thing I hate probably the most of, of home maintenance is cleaning up my gutters. Do you feel, do you feel the pretty much the same way, Rod? Um, it, it's, it's not a job I would undertake myself. How about that? Yeah. I can't imagine you getting up on ladders and doing stuff. I, we have, right. uh, we have like a two stories and it's like a walkout. So it's almost like three stories. It's, you know, a mile up to get up to the gutter. There's just no way I'm getting on a ladder. I don't like heights and I certainly don't like three stories of heights. Uh, and we actually had even had a tree growing out of that gutter. So anyway, it was all kinds of problems our house, standing water around. And so, I was actually surprised. I had them come by to check out my house out just because I'm like, well, we need new gutters at some point. I need to do leaf guards, which I tried installing my own, which did a really great job of keeping leaves out of the like the low gutters, but it also kept the water out, which wasn't very helpful. <laughs> so I had water going off the side of my house. Uh, so anyway, so they, they fixed it and they actually installed it, you know, February and they installed it. Even they started in the rain and they finished up the other day and did a great job. Um, I highly recommend it. Kurt is the owner of that, of that operation. Uh, you can't go wrong. So if you look at your house and you got some problems with standing water or just gutter install or cleaning or whatever, maybe you just need to fix up. Talk to Kurt. If you want to get a hold of Kurt to have some work on your gutters, please be sure to check out the notes uh, or they also be available on our website. You can go to Kurt, that's K-U-R-T dot Stauffer, S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R at brothersgutters.com. And again, that will be available on the show notes so you can don't have to try and write that down wherever you are out driving the car. And you can get 10% off your order if you just tell him the code FINAL4. Uh, and then obviously they can do it in any weather, which surprised me. I kind of assumed that was a summer job, but it is not. It's a job as long as they can get up there and it's not dangerous. They're going to go out and get the job done. His region goes from Lakeshore all the way out to Lowell, which is in the uh, east side of Grand Rapids area, and then all the way from Saugatuck, Douglas, up to Rockford. So a pretty huge region in the west side of the state. Uh, it is a, it is also a uh, national brand, so you can certainly go to Brothers That Just Do Gutters, and you can find that at brothersgutters.com. Uh, again, can't, me can't mess up with uh, that option. It's going to, you'll be glad you did, for sure, because if you've got problems like I had, <laughs> they could fix it up because, and do they're very, very, uh, very attractive for gutters, right? Um, so let's talk about this game. Michigan State goes down to Columbus, and despite both teams where I was 
turned to my wife. I said, I'm not even sure those regulation size hoops because they might be too small because neither team could hit a single shot uh, for the first like 10 minutes of that half or eight, not eight, nine minutes. It was really putrid. Uh, Ohio state was turning the ball over left and right. They, they did a lot in the first half. And then I don't know. I mean, it was, it was a game that Michigan state and uh, having a pretty good halftime lead. Uh, and then they extend that lead in the second half. Ohio state closed it a little bit down to five and you started feeling you're getting in danger zone. And the Michigan state went on another, I think it was like a 13 to two run, close out the game, finish off Ohio state who was really terrible. Uh, that team has got some problems, <laughs> both up on the offensive end and defensively. I thought, you know, Michigan State, for the most part, was getting a lot of really good clean looks. And yeah. for as badly as they shot from three, and I think Michigan State finished the game a little over 30%, uh, seven threes out of 22 shots. You know, one was David Smith at the end of the game. But uh, Jaden Akins was 0 for 6, Walker 0 for 2, Hogart 0 for 1, Brooks 0 for 2, and... Then Hall hit his one shot and Joey Hauser. I mean, that guy, six of nine from three, finishes with 22 points, eight rebounds. What I don't know what to say about that guy, except that thank goodness he's on the team this year because he does not seem to be bothered by whether they're shooting on the road or at home. He's He's been a really solid addition and, and much much better than I think we thought he was going to be. I think we thought he was going to be solid, but you never knew if at the end of last year that – with a tournament run in the Big Ten, and then also in state tournament, was he going to carry that over into the season? And boy, has he ever! Yeah, uh, great, 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 great offensive game from him. Obviously, it goes without saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have several thoughts. I mean, the, the first thing is for for as much as people talked about, and I saw a lot of this on social media, how how awful both teams were offensively in the first half. MSU made a pretty good run down the stretch yep. of that half to push the lead out to 13. It had actually been 16 before uh, Gale hit a three very late uh, to, to take the lead down to 13. But MSU was shooting 40% from the floor, and they only had five turnovers. So it wasn't a disaster. It just, yeah, right. I think, I think the way the game started made it feel that way. Cause you're right. The first nine, 10 minutes. Yeah. It was rough both ways. Um, th- there were a-, a few things going on, I think with Ohio state offensively, keep in mind, as we talked about in the podcast, in the preview uh, episode of our podcast here, um, this was a team that came in 19th, I believe in offensive efficiency. And they were much better than that for a decent stretch of the season. They were like a top five offense earlier in Big Ten play. But I think a few things have happened that have have taken that down. Um, One of them is that, and you could see it today. I mean, Zed Key did some things, but he's not near 100%. He's just not. Um, and, And then it's you're holding your breath if you're an Ohio State fan because Every time there's a collision involving him, you're thinking, well, that might do it for the shoulder. And indeed, he came up hurting again in this game at a certain point due to a collision on his shoulder. So that takes a big weapon, doesn't completely take it out of the mix, but it limits it. And then I think the other big thing that's happened is their guard tandem, which is entirely new, give or take Eugene Brown, has hit a wall. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to give Michigan State some credit for that. I think the way that they defended Bryce Sensabaugh in that first half was huge. Malik Hall especially had to do a lot of it because AJ was on the bench with in foul trouble, and Malik Hall wrapped that kid up. Every shot he took in the first half was contested. I mean, really contested, and so he wasn't able to get on track. And then once he did get a couple of cleaner looks. They still weren't falling. He ended up with eight points. I think he was three for 14 from the floor. So that's yeah. happened. Um, their transfer guards aren't playing. What they are is they're playing like they're playing like a group of entirely new players, like you might expect. You know, and earlier in the season, they were getting past some of that. Now they're not. You saw Ohio State had real difficulty in terms of trying to generate any kind of good penetration. And Michigan State did the job there. I mean, Michigan State, I thought, had outstanding help in the lane. 
How many times did you see an Ohio State player, even if it wasn't a guard, let's say it was just a suing, try to take the ball into the lane and he was consistently met with a second guy, with a help defender, as well as the primary defender on him, and they'd just turn him back. You know, it happened constantly. Michigan State was very disciplined in how they defended, but let's also be honest about it. Um, Ohio State played a rough game offensively, too. So it was yeah. both things. I, I give Michigan State a lot of credit for a very good defensive game because it was. But it's also true that Ohio State, is spinning right now they don't they don't know where to turn to to try to find an answer you know and that's that's just how it is i mean it, offensively it's it's a mess and i don't even just mean the um the efficiency i mean when you look at ohio state i want to make sure i get this right they took 60 shots from the floor in this game 29 <laughs> yeah. of them came from three essentially half now they're a very good three-point shooting team. We talked about that. But on a day where you're six for 29, so you're basically shooting 20% from three, I don't think there's any justification in the world for taking that many threes other than the fact that you just can't get anything else. And they couldn't. Yeah. You know, they just don't have – you look at what a difference it makes – for Michigan State, especially with A.J. Hogard, but today, some other guys too, Jaden Akins, Tyson Walker. What a difference it makes when you have a guard who can get into the teeth of a defense and make something happen and cause the defense to distort. That's a huge edge, and Ohio State just does not have that right now. So I think that was really the primary story of the game that – Ohio State was just locked. It was a combination of really getting guarded well and then just not having any ability to counter that uh, was a decisive factor in Michigan State getting this win. And then at the other end, Michigan State was just much, much better. You know, Ohio State's not a good defensive team. And it took MSU a little while to find the rhythm of this game. But once they did, it was lights out. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely were able to get pretty much anything they wanted most of the game. There weren't too yeah. many possessions where they looked looked lost. I would say when AJ was out and Tyson was playing the point, they looked a little rough at that. Certainly that one stretch where Ohio State made the push to get it down to five. They had a couple turnovers. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, they looked, and and the poor shooting <laughs> in the first half, they looked pretty good. I mean, they ended up shooting 46%, 32% from three. Not fantastic from three, but, you know, that's not bad. Uh, and then offense, and then from a rebounding standpoint too, I think surprising for me, they out rebounded Ohio State by almost 10, 42 to 33. They, they had 30 defensive rebounds and 12 offensive rebounds. And of note too, you see Aikens comes down with nine boards, two yeah. offensive, seven defensive and Hall with six and Joey with his usual like eight the, at the five spot, which everyone's always worried about the rebounding, not a whole lot. I mean, Suzuka had four, although three were offensive. Kohler had a couple or he had one and Cooper had one. So not much production there from the rebounding. But again, some of that is blocking out and preventing their one guy who's rebounding, which was that's right. key. And that's so right. then other people clean up. And that was like the, that was the case against Maryland, right? Where, where, although Sissoko didn't get credit with many rebounds, he was preventing yep. uh, the Maryland bigs from getting there. And then AJ would clean it up and pull it out, which, you know, to AJ's credit, he was in there, but uh, that was, a, that was impressive. I want to talk about Jaden Akins because you mentioned earlier, 0 for 6 from 3. And look, he had some of those he just missed badly. Yeah. I mean, this was not a game. Occasionally, you know, a good shooter, you'll see they just can't get it to fall. They go in and out. Jaden was missing pretty badly today for whatever reason. But what I loved about his game is he did not let that take him out of everything else. He had, you mentioned a couple of times, uh, that point in the second half where Ohio State got it down to five. Jaden Akins was a huge part of the run that really ended the game right there. Yeah. Just an immediate response. He had an offensive rebound put back, and then he had a, a drive that he finished. Uh, they might not have been consecutive baskets, but they were very close in time to each other. And, and that was just fantastic that he was able, on a day where the shot just wasn't falling, he was able to stay locked in enough 
to say, all right, I got to go make an impact some other way. And he started attacking, attacking the rim, attacking the basketball off the glass. It was real. And I thought he was good defensively for the most part. Um, really, really encouraging to see from him in, in a, in a stretch of time where things have been encouraging for him, but today it came a little differently. Um, I also want to just mention a couple of numbers here just to put this game into perspective that I'm going to give Graham couch, our occasional guest from the Lansing state journal, some credit. Cause I got it from his Twitter account, even though he got it per an MSU press release. The, so Ohio state was beaten in this game, 62 to 41. The last time MSU held any opponent to fewer than 42 points came back in November of 2018 against, uh, a powerhouse Tennessee tech team that they beat one hundred one to 33. <laughs> the, the last time a big 10 opponent had fewer than 42 points, January 15th, 2014 at Northwestern MSU won that game 54 to 40. So eight years ago, no, nine years ago. What am I saying? It's 2023 nine. It's been nine years since MSU held an opposing big 10 team to this kind of futility. And anytime you're talking about a number that low, again, the offense is almost certainly contributing to that to some extent, but don't let that take away the job that MSU did. It was very, very good defensively. So I thought those were interesting, uh, interesting uh, opponent related scoring stats. It's been a yeah. while since we've seen a game like this. Right. I mean, Ohio State only finished the 40, 14 points in the first half, and they got that just because they had that three yeah. at the very end. I mean, yeah, that was, they were uh, at 11, 11 <laughs> for the first 19 minutes and 55 seconds. Yeah, it was 11. impressive. My, my, my dad, my dad's a big Drake fan, which is their number one in the Missouri Valley right now. Um, and they scored 45 points in the first half <laughs> last game on yesterday's game where they ended up winning uh, to take first place. And he, he's on a text. My team could beat either of these teams. Like, well, maybe, but they certainly they certainly outscored Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I would I would just like I we we criticize the officials all the time. I want to yep. tip my hat cap to the officials here because that game finished in an hour and forty five minutes. That was crazy. Th- only yep. three free throws between the two teams combined. Uh, yep, combined. Yeah, and uh, and MSU and they, got and there was plenty of fouling. Late. Right, there was plenty of fouling. Right. There was contact, there was especially underneath, but they let like contact that wasn't, you know, they let a lot of it. They, it was consistently allowed the whole game. There weren't any ticky tack calls too much. And so I was impressed by how they officiated the game. You just said the important word consistent. That's all you need. I, look, there's a rule book and yes, you'd like it to be called the way the rules suggest that it should be. But for me, what matters most is consistency. If, if you know, after the first 10 minutes, let's say, all right, they're going to let a lot of physical contact, especially around the rim go today, then you can adjust the way you're playing to account for that. And you can find a rhythm of play, um, where the problems come in is when, and we see this all the time. First half is called very loosely. They don't blow the whistle much. They let a lot of physical play go. And then halftime comes and goes. They come out for the second half and it's a tight whistle. That's where the problem, that's where the biggest problem is. Yeah. I, I, I know it's a fantasy to expect that um, fouls will be called the way I, I think they, they should be, which is you only call them when there's an advantage that's gained by one party or the other, because that's the purpose is to level the playing field to make sure that physical play doesn't of any type doesn't give one party an unfair advantage over the other. That's the whole point of fouls, the whole point of a rule set. Right. But I, I I know it's, it's fantasy time to expect that games will be called with that thought process first and foremost in mind. But what you can expect is what we saw today that they are one type of thing is consistently a foul and another type of thing consistently is not. And you can live with that because that allows both teams to settle in and say, okay, we understand how this game can be played and play accordingly. And it was great. I mean, you, you had, it's funny because a game that didn't have very many fouls called uh, either way, you still did have fouls impact the game, both teams in the first half, you know, key 
got two fouls very quickly for Ohio State. And so that limited how much he could impact the game. And then A.J. Hogart, I think, played six or seven minutes in the first half. So foul trouble took MSU starting point guard away from them. So both teams still got impacted by it, but there wasn't anything to complain about, you know, because these guys were consistent in what they did all day. So you're right. We complain about it a lot. You have to know when they do the job the way it should be done. And that's what we saw today. The other note uh, worth pointing out is that Michigan State had 26 points to paint to Ohio State's 12. And that, I think, just suggests the penetration by Hogarth, especially the second half and Walker to some extent and Aikens. Uh, where they where the shots not falling and they still found other ways to go in and score and that was impressive and and I think also it reflects the interior defense that was so good for Michigan State the centers didn't yep. score a lot of points you know Kohler Cooper and Sissoko but I thought they played a very solid sound defensive game and I would also uh, throw Joey in there as well who who had to play against Justice Suing and I think did a good job preventing him from getting easy buckets absolutely no he was great Suing's a guy you worry about because. He's, and you saw this today, he's the one guy that was hesitant to pull up from three because he's, yep. he's struggled shooting the three this year, but um, he's very dangerous off the dribble. And I thought Joey, along with some good help uh, from help side defenders, kind of squaring things up when Suing would get into the middle of the lane, but Joey was very good. Yeah, they, look, th- those guys did their jobs, you know. Um, it was good to see Carson Cooper get back into the lineup and, uh, and actually make some contributions. He looked good. Uh, I, obviously, Kohler had a really nice start to the game offensively. I mean, we, we once again, we see him make a move that that last bucket that he got where, you know, he spun on, I believe it was against Key. I can't remember for sure. It was like Para, I think. Yeah. Was it? Okay. I think so. And, uh, the and fadeaway uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that kind of stuff, man. That That's the reason that people were so high on him coming into the season. It's because he's capable of making moves like that. If you look around the big 10 this year, obviously there's a lot of productive play at the five, but a lot of it isn't really aesthetically interesting. I mean, it's just (laughs) huge guys just kind of, you know, being huge. I mean, nobody's ever going to convince me that watching Hunter Dickinson is fun. (laughs) You know, Uh, Zach Eady. I mean, it's interesting from a freak show point of view, but it's not pretty basketball. What he plays Jackson Kohler is aesthetically pleasing to watch when he does stuff like that. And again, it's that it's those kind of moments that you just have to kind of put in the memory bank going into next season that, Hey, this guy is capable of doing some things you don't see very often. And, um, and then, and then Marty, you know, Marty wasn't, certainly wasn't his best day, but I thought, again, I thought he was mostly pretty good defensively. Um, he did have the three offensive boards, as you said, and he did manage to get one bucket. Um, so overall, MSU got good contributions. The other thing that was interesting is because Key was both in foul trouble and then, as I've alluded to, is just kind of banged up and not at 100%. MSU was able to utilize the small ball lineup with Hauser and Hall as the two posts, maybe a little more often than we typically see. And it, and it yeah. worked well because Ohio state had to go small. Yeah. A game overall, it, it's a game that you'd have been very disappointed if Michigan state didn't come away with the win just because Ohio state is reeling. It's not, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but it certainly makes, it makes things a lot easier going forward. Now you've stolen another one on the road and you've got a very manageable you know, schedule going forward Strung you two do. wins together now, start feeling a little bit better about yourself. You expect the next game against Minnesota, the shots are going to start dropping a little better than they did at, at Ohio State. And so get a little momentum yeah. going into that uh, game in Ann Arbor on Saturday. Correct. I think it was, look, I mean, there's still a long way to go. But so far, I would say this back half of the schedule, these last nine games um, are are starting to fall into place pretty much the way I thought they might, you know, the, the shame about the Rutgers game is that it really, they could have gotten that one, you know, yeah. that one was there and that's not one you necessarily chalked up as a likely win, but you know, they survive against Maryland. They go into this game and they smack, um, they smack Ohio state. And as you say, you've got Minnesota coming to town that that one shapes up favorably. 
And then you've got the stretch run where, again, none of those games are games that I don't think Michigan State can win. And a few of them are games I think they should win. So there's a real opportunity here to build momentum. The other thing that's interesting about today, um, the big number we won't see until tomorrow because they don't adjust the net, I think, until the following day. Right. But I believe Michigan State jumped up to number 30 in Ken Palm with this win. That's crazy. So but shows you jump. the points. The point it's, difference really is huge. It, well, right? it's 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 three things. It's the impact of margin of victory. It's the impact of winning a game big on the road. Right. And then the third thing is it's the impact of doing those two things against a team that was still relatively highly rated in Ohio State. So you put all three together, you get a big jump. Um, we, we've spent so much time talking about it. Look, the, the <laughs> bottom line is I still think Ken Palm is a very valuable system. Obviously we use it every game. Um, I think it tells you a lot about the sport, but you can derive a lot of, of, um, you can derive, you can arrive at a lot of truths through its utilization, but it's also accurate to acknowledge that. Ohio State is one team that for whatever reason or reasons, and I think we've identified margin of victory is a big one, has kind of broken their system. So it doesn't mean that Ken Palm isn't, isn't valuable. It means that if you're looking at a game involving Ohio State, you need to be careful because what the metric system, and it's not just Ken Palm, it's all of them. It's net, it's Torvik, it's all of them. Um, if you look at, at what the systems are telling you Ohio State is, this is a case where you need to apply the eye test because losing, what is it? I think it's 11 out of 12 now. That, that, yeah. Come on. That's just, yeah, <laughs> you cannot. And, and watching what we witnessed today, there is no cogent argument that Ohio State is even a top 50 team in the country. They're just not. Not right now. And they probably haven't been for a long time, but because of the way the system works and applies value to margin of victory in particular, um, it's distorted in terms of how it views Ohio State. So just in games involving Ohio State, for example, I would just be very careful about assuming that it's telling you as much as it might in terms of another matchup, you know? Yeah. Um, People talk about the Vegas lines all the time, and it was hilarious on the Spartan Mag board watching a few people spin themselves into depression around the fact that Las Vegas had Michigan State as an underdog. I think it was a three or three and a half point underdog. Uh-huh. As if there's some, this is the Oracle of Delphi. Um, <laughs> people need to understand that the books in Las Vegas have long been using systems that are at least roughly very similar to Ken Palm, um, Torvik, et cetera. That's what helps them set those lines. Now they can change from there, obviously, depending upon betting and they want right. to make sure they have a certain amount of money on one side and a certain amount on the other, and, you know, all that stuff. But in terms of where they start it, it's based on predictive systems that are very similar in nature to the ones that many of our listeners are familiar with. Nothing more, nothing less. So with this idea that somehow Las Vegas knows and uh, Michigan State's probably going to lose this game, it was telling you something, just like Ken Palm and the rest, that if you've been paying attention, you should have known wasn't likely to happen. You know, that they're that for some reason, this particular team and its profile has broken the system a little bit. <laughs> you know, I just think that's undeniable at this point. I had always assumed that there was someone who's watching all to 350 teams every night and they knew all they knew these teams inside and out. That's how they set those betting lines. I didn't realize they use metrics, uh, metric systems. Well, and they've been doing and they've been doing it for a lot longer and in a much more sophisticated way um, than uh, the population at large has been aware of too. That's, sure. that's my understanding. I, I've read a, 
there was a great book published, um, God, several years ago, and I'm drawing a blank on the on the title. Uh, it was a guy who had been wasn't any kind of gambler, but got brought into the world of high stakes, like real deal gambling uh, with a guy. I believe his name is Billy Walters. And it's interesting. I just saw last week that Billy Walters uh, autobiography, I believe, uh, for lack of a better term as to what it is, is coming out in August. Uh, it was co-written with uh, Armand Otegan, the uh, sp uh, sportscaster who's worked with uh, Bryant Gumbel at HBO and various other networks. Um, and in it, apparently, he's going to divulge details for the first time about his close relationship with Phil Mickelson, the professional golfer. Um, so that'll be interesting. But anyway, this book, which I, I read probably, God, at least 10 years ago, maybe more, had a lot of shed lent a lot of insight into how sophisticated this stuff has been for a long long time much longer than people have been talking about ken pomeroy or bart torvik or any of those things and so it's not surprising that the vegas line would largely be in line with what those predictive systems are telling you was going to happen in this game because they're all kind of trying to do the same thing and they're all using the same kinds of data in roughly similar ways. They, mm -hmm. they obviously might weight things slightly differently from system to system, but by and large, it's not surprising at all that they would come to similar conclusions and be similarly wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, why don't we go to our nudge printing uh, keys to the game and we'll talk about that in specifics. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Go to nudgeprinting.com, enter the coupon code FINAL4 to get 20% off your order. So number one key to the game was threes. Well, as we mentioned, Michigan State did not shoot great. Seven of 22, 32%, not terrible. Uh, definitely better in the second half where they're 411. Um, but Ohio State was dreadful. They were 20% for the game. They're 315 in the first half, 3 of 14 in the second half, so really no better. Uh, and I think, you know, in... I don't know. I mean, at some point we have to say either Michigan State's really lucky or they're defending threes well and making people put up bad threes because they are number, I think number one in the big 10 now in three point yeah. against percentage yeah. efficiency, right? Well, well under 25%, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, look, I, I buy the general conventional uh, analytic system uh, wisdom that three point percentage against is a number you got to be careful with um, because it seems a little more luck dependent than others. But when you're 20 some games deep into a season, I I'm not saying it tells you that Michigan state is necessarily the best defending team against deep shooting, but it's telling you something. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> telling you something. And again, so take, this is where the value of this stuff comes in, in my, in my opinion. Take that information and then keep that in your mind as you watch the game. When you watched this game, did you feel like Michigan State challenged shots, contested shots consistently? I did. Yeah. Other than there was one stretch where Ohio State got going a little bit, and I felt that part of it was Michigan State's perimeter guys were overhelping a little bit on penetration. 
And that allowed OSU to finally get some decently clean looks. And they managed to string a couple together in short succession. But other than that, did Michigan State actually guard the three well? Yes, I think so, pretty clearly. Yeah, I think McNeil hit those two in that stretch, That's right? That's what and, I'm talking about. That's and then he was 0 for 6 the rest of the game. I don't even remember him missing the other six because I don't remember him having any open look because I was worried about that guy. And yep, if absolutely. he shot him and I don't remember it, so he must have been covered well because I, I usually groan every time someone gets a wide open three if I don't realize who it is. They didn't have a lot of them today. They really didn't. And that's a credit to what Michigan State did defensively. Uh, I think the bottom line on this on this key is MSU did outshoot them. You can you could say, well, neither team shot well, but MSU had essentially a ten percent advantage over Ohio State. That's significant, and I think that the made the fact that they actually made one more three. Than Ohio State did overall, uh, despite the fact OSU put up many more attempts, you have to credit this as at least a small victory for Michigan State. There wasn't a huge, huge gap here, but you know, to me, the thing that I was worried about when Ohio State cut it to five, what my mind flashed on at that point was, okay, does Ohio State actually get hot now? Yeah, right. And and win the game in that area. And in fact, what ended up happening is they didn't and Joey got hot and helped push it out. So it went the other direction, but that was what you couldn't have. If you were Michigan state, you couldn't have a day where you shoot 30%, they shoot 40% on high volume. That would have been a problem. Yeah. Joey was a blistering six for nine. He was, he led the pace for sure. Everyone you just assume is going in. Uh, so the number one key, number two key to the game was the defensive glass. Ohio state is a good offensive rebounding team. Uh, and they finished with 32 and a half percent rebounding off those, um, off the yeah. misses, which is not fantastic. It's good. It's not dominating. And, and, uh, and the fact that Michigan state was 37 and a half percent offensive rebounding rate considering last game is what? Shocker. 7%. So that was, we didn't expect that. And the fact they out rebounded Ohio state who gave them plenty of opportunities to rebound since they missed so many shots. Uh, and that was, I guess that would be the other thing too, with those threes are missing. I don't remember them getting any rebounds off those threes, maybe once or twice, but most of their rebounds were like off short ones. Yeah, you're right about that. That's that's a big deal. That long, long rebounds didn't come back to haunt MSU too much. MSU actually also had a 12 to nine second chance points edge. So they did slightly more with their second chances than Ohio State did. Um, only only nine second chance points on what did Ohio State have? Eleven or 14, twelve offensive rebounds. Fourteen, 14 rebounds. offensive rebounds. Yeah, that's not very much. So that's that's the good news, you know, is that um what wasn't happening is Ohio State wasn't getting an offensive rebound and a bunch of immediate putbacks. Key had, I want to say both of Key's buckets came off putbacks, but that considering he had five offensive rebounds, I think. That that wasn't a lot of damage, um, and nobody else was doing that. You know, they didn't have a lot of, you know, shot misses at the rim. Somebody gets the offensive rebound, and they're right there for a lay-in or a dunk. That wasn't happening. So, you know, not a great performance by MSU. They've certainly been better on the defensive glass than they were today, but you know, uh, graded on a curve considering the that Ohio state is a pretty good offensive rebounding team. MSU was okay. Uh, so number three, key to the game was the post. We had a lot of questions, about what they're going to do is Ed key. Well, I guess the key was getting him. The key was getting him in foul trouble. <laughs> he got two fouls yeah. and then he hurt himself by slamming into Sissoko that one time, which with his bad shoulder. And yep. I mean, that I think just re-aggravated things and he was pretty ineffective. He got rebounds, but I mean, four points off of five offensive rebounds, just two for four shooting. Uh, you know, I, he was, he didn't do much of anything. Akpara wasn't any better. He didn't have a single point just in two, two misses. Yeah. Uh, it, it did not end up being a, a very significant factor in this game. And as you said, MSU actually easily, I think it more than doubled up Ohio state. Yeah, 26 to 12. Yeah. So you have to be pretty pleased with that. Um, you know, overall, uh, it, it, Ohio state didn't, <laughs> this was the thing I felt. Michigan State, in comparison to most Big Ten games they've played this year, so not just against, say, Purdue, 
But most games this year, Michigan State has been playing teams that forced them to do some things defensively at times that they don't necessarily want to do, but yeah. kind of had no choice. You know, I'm talking about the doubling and, you know, digging down aggressively, all that kind of stuff. I thought Michigan State looked, you, people usually use the word comfort or being comfortable in relation to offense. But I thought today Michigan State was able to be very comfortable defensively, you know, and, and that yeah. helped. Ohio State didn't do a hell of a lot to make them uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, you talked early in the game, uh, in the pregame about Ohio State, although they looked like they had the personnel to be a driving team from the guard standpoint. Yeah. They, they really hardly ever did that. I mean, since ball kind of would sort of go, but he'd go maybe five feet inside the three-point line, and he was bottled up. And and the help defense was so good, and I think the post def- the pick and roll defense was so good on Sissoko yep. driving the guard so far off that they couldn't really even drive in afterwards. I mean, they just play- it was just really well done in general to prevent them from getting anything going. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, and th- this is something that, whether it's Chris Holtman or somebody else, I don't know, but whoever's coaching Ohio state next year has got to change. They need to find a way and maybe some of their incoming talent will help change that. I don't know, but, um, they don't want to, they don't want to continue to have to play this way offensively. I know coming into this game, they had good numbers offensively and all of that. And I'll buy that, but man, it's hard. It's hard. And we've seen it. We've seen it at Michigan state, you know, go back to the COVID year. They didn't have much in the way of penetration and consequently it was a chore to get anything done offensively. And you see what difference somebody like AJ Hogarth makes, you know, when you've got a guy who can get into the teeth of a defense and force the defense to distort, it creates opportunities for you. Ohio state just, that's one of the reasons we were just talking about in regard to the three point shots that Ohio state just didn't have a lot of open looks because Michigan state was able to stay kind of locked in on their guys, Ohio. And the only times Ohio state did get those looks is when I felt like Michigan state maybe overhelped a little bit Yeah, where they didn't have to, but they quickly got past that and you didn't see it happening anymore. So something's got to change for Ohio. a lot of things have changed for Ohio state next <laughs> year, but that's one of them is I think somehow, some way they got to find, some way to um, get into the teeth of defenses more because right now they they were just really easy to guard. Yeah, I was going to say they were very easy to guard, and you know maybe their change that you do is at the top, and so I wouldn't be surprised for Holtman too. As you mentioned before, is he going to beat the posse before they come after him? He's not going to get fired. I I I don't see that. But man, you look at a day like today, and, and then you know things like salaries and contracts come into yeah. play and, and all that stuff. He's making a lot of money in Columbus. So it would, there would have to be a job where somebody wants to pay him a lot, but, um, you just, it's not working. And today didn't help. Yeah. You wonder even too, if a guy like him is, you know, if, well, there's gonna be an opening at Notre Dame and, but does Notre Dame want, I mean, who wants him at this point? I he's, he might've soured his market a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think so. And, and the reason, the reason why I say that is one, there's always optimism that, well, if there was a problem that was somebody else's fault, not this guy's <laughs> sure. And, yeah. and two, you know, he's made the NCAA tournament between Butler and Ohio state seven straight years. Now that streak is almost certainly at an end now, Yeah, but mm-hmm. The fact is he can point or somebody wanting to hire him can point to that and say, Hey, look, this guy has been very consistent. I would take issue with that in the sense that I, well, I guess I think it depends on the job. If it's a Notre Dame, Chris Holtman would look, in my opinion, would look pretty interesting because, you know, his profile is maybe a better version of Mike Brace, you know, <laughs> sure, um, okay. all offense, not a lot of defense. And he gets to the tournament more often than Mike Bray did. The the negative you could, you could give him would be, well, his years at Ohio state, that's kind of having, you know, it's the right, the line people toss around about Ryan day. Now, you know, born on third base, it's, it's not quite that <laughs> bad, but 
it's it's why I think there probably should be some heat on him is if you're at Ohio State, you should be able to do better than this. This isn't, I mean, what we're seeing this year. And again, I'm not totally shocked because I've been talking about him for this is the third year running where I've thought, eh, if you're an Ohio State fan, do you believe that maybe your program should be doing more than this? Maybe. You know, I think that I don't think that's unfair. And this year just, you know, heightens it. But uh, I don't think I don't think there's any way they'd fire him. I do think there's a possibility and it's something to watch for that he does, as we were saying, uh, beat the posse and not yeah. wait for next year and maybe the heat to really get turned up, but make a jump in a situation which is advantageous to him rather than have to wait to have his fate decided by something he can't control. You know, I, I, I have no inside information on that. Obviously I just, when I look at it, it feels that way to me, you know, and, and I would, if I were him, I, what I would look at for parallels, not that every situation is its own. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same way, but I would look maybe at somebody like Mark Turgeon, you know, yeah. Did Mark Turgeon make a mistake by not maybe looking to get out of a situation where they never really embraced him and people got frustrated, even though he was by most objective measures, quote unquote, succeeding. He wasn't doing it in a way that made anybody who was a Maryland fan really thrilled. And, you know, eventually he had to go. Do you, do you look at that? If you're Chris Holtman and say, eh, Maybe I'd be better off getting a fresh start somewhere else. You know, again, assuming that the money can be worked out and all that. Well, yeah, you look at their record. They're 11-14. They're 3-11 and in the Big Ten. They're guaranteed a losing record in the Big Ten play. Uh, I would not be surprised they finish at 5-15 and 15 in the Big Ten, you know. And and then I guess you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do next year? Are you going to be that much better? This is, a this is by all accounts, this is a disaster year uh, for Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, from especially with the projections, people projected them in top four or five, and to to end up this low, it, it's actually interesting. They've sort of switched places with Northwestern <laughs> in, in in predictions here, really. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so then the fourth key to the game, AJ. You know, it's interesting because you know you kind of look at it. He's, he got two fouls early in the first half. He went out, and then actually, we should say, played pretty well and extended well the lead enough, into double yeah. digits, and then. He played most of the second half. I mean, not all of it, but probably 16 minutes or so of the second half. He finished with 25 minutes, so it is interesting. You made an important point. When Ohio State made that one push to get it to five, A.J. was off the floor. Yep. And as soon as he came back in, boom, turned around. I mean, I think they actually got a little momentum before he came back in. They got a couple of those buckets to push it back out before he got back on the floor. But once he got back out there, it just sustained. I thought his numbers don't knock you out. He had six points, five assists, one turnover. So they aren't knockout numbers, but I thought he played well. Yeah. I thought I thought he played the way you want to see him play when he was on the floor. And his performance in the second half really validates why he matters so much. So was he a decisive factor in this game? No, because MSU had other guys. I mean, Tyson Walker, especially uh, during that stretch, he had to sit in the first half. Tyson Walker was the guy during that run and was an important part of why MSU pushed the lead out. Um, so they didn't need AJ as much as I would have thought, but you still see him demonstrate his value in this game. And, uh, and we all know it's, you know, most nights he's going to need to, he's going to need to produce more than he did tonight, but I wasn't unhappy with the way he played. I also thought he was good defensively against Sensabaugh. You never let those guys get going. It's yep. interesting too, looking at Walker because Walker was brought in as the replacement point guard for the you know, disastrous yeah. year with Watts and Hogard trying to play point. On the, um, and, and lawyer. Yeah. And lawyer. Right. And now I, there's no question. He, he is much better coming off as the playing as a two and, um, you know, yeah, it, and they're not as good when he's playing point. I, he's just more and more valuable to you as a scorer and the defender versus a point and, and defender. Here's what I think it is. 
I don't think it's that he's not capable of playing, you know, decently effective point guard. I, I think he is, but, and, and you saw it like in the stretch I was just talking about, but Tyson Walker last year really struggled with finding that balance between being a guy who runs your offense and sets other people up and then going out and getting his own. So I think the reason we've seen that is that switching him mostly off the ball has enabled his mindset to get where MSU needs it. And MSU needs him to be aggressive offensively. They need him to be looking to score. And I think, I think where he has struggled has been when he tries to balance those two things. Um, and so it's been to his advantage and MSU's advantage that they've been able to take a lot of that choice away from him and just say, look, for the most part, you're going to be a guy that we look to, to go get us buckets. And you can just, you can just slot yourself into that way of thinking, that way of approaching the game. And it's, it's played out very, very well for him and for Michigan state. Uh, they're fortunate. They have a guy like AJ Hogarth, so they can afford to do that that AJ developed the way he did, you know, you're right. When they, when they got Tyson, it was to be the, the answer at the point. And you don't know how things would have gone if he would have had to have been, you know, a 30 minute a night guy at that position. And the final key to the game the transition, which Not much. Michigan State got something going. They had four points <laughs> to yeah. zero for Ohio state. I feel like state as usual, I think they had a little bit more than four points. They got a couple sort of secondary transition baskets. But for the most part, it was not a game where there was it, a lot of the turnovers for Ohio state were not live ball turnovers. And so they were kind of throwing out of bounds and stuff like that. So it was that, that, and that both teams rebounded offensively reasonably well also played yeah. in. So yeah, there just wasn't much of an opportunity. I thought there might be given how, how shaky this team could be defensively, but you know, to their credit, they really didn't let MSU get going very much, but it, it didn't matter. Well, so Michigan State uh, goes up to eight and six and joins the complete clog uh, in the Big Ten. As I think almost everybody is eight and six right now, or or close to it. Northwestern, I think, is now are they alone in tied second for place second? At, no, tied for tied second. With nine Indiana, one nine game and up five. On MSU. Both teams are nine they, and five, and they play this week as they upset Purdue. And and I just we were uh, in the car on the way back. Sort of my wife was watching the game. I was listening, but. What Northwestern did, I think every Big Ten team should do, especially ones that are, you know, struggle to get fans in the seats, where they they make a point of releasing all their tickets <laughs> online to all their students. Just, I mean, just fill that place up. I don't understand why more schools don't do this where they don't yeah. fill up the seats. You'd rather have students there rather than like, you know, Illinois, the Orange Crush showing up or whatever. It just, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to have a bunch of empty seats. And Iowa could have so many more fans in the seats and I, you know, just... Because they always have, they struggle to sell out if it's not wrestling. That was the best uh, crowd atmosphere I can ever recall seeing at Northwestern. That was, that was off the charts good. And you just do not see that there historically at all. So to see that was really impressive. It was a hell of a game. And I'll, you know, just to put on our macro big 10 hats for a second, um, uh, we've been talking for a while, or I, I certainly have. I don't know how often we've mentioned it on the podcast, but I've mentioned it on the Spartan Mag board. And I've certainly been thinking it. You expect young guards to hit a wall at some point. We just got done talking about Ohio State's guards, right? right. I think it's pretty clear now. Sensabaugh, Thornton, the, the Gale, these guys are not playing the way they were earlier in the season. They're going through something. Trey Holloman. And Michigan yeah, State, he was not, not playing as well as he has. That's been going on for several games. So that freshman wall thing is not just a cute little old wives' tale. It's there's something to it. I don't know if if it's official that Purdue's guards have hit the freshman wall. I just know that today they were not very good when they needed them to be, and so it does make me when a lot of people. I think are rightly suspicious of Purdue in March when they are relying on guys that are, have never been through it. You know, that's asking a lot. 
And hats off to the way Smith and Lawyer have played this year. They've been outstanding. They've been so far beyond what anybody anticipated they would be. But as they say, getting real. And <laughs> you, you just uh, watching this game. I mean, Northwestern could not buy a shot. They had so many chances, so many opportunities. And it's the same old, you know, Chase Audish, Boo Booey, throwing up terrible shots, not hitting them. And then all of a sudden, when the game was still there to be won late, Purdue's guards made mistakes and Chase Audish took over both ends. He made defensive plays and he hit shots. And that's sometimes that's what veterans, even ones with questionable shot selection, that's, that's what they can do <laughs> for you. And so hats off to Northwestern. I mean, to me, this pretty much locked it up. I mean, technically they've probably still got to win at least another couple of games or game or a game. I think they're at nine and five right now in the league. So you yeah. would think 10 and 10, even if they really falter down the stretch, 10 and 10 would probably be enough. Um, but that was just a huge win. It was the first time in program history they've ever beaten a number one ranked team. So that's a big deal. And um, I love the way they played. I mean, defensively, my God, every time down the stretch that Edie got the ball, it was like a school of piranhas coming at him. I mean, it really was. And they, it's the first time this year that, and he is still at a big game, but it's the first time this year down the stretch of that game where I felt like, oh, he's in trouble. You know, you haven't thought that very often about it. It's been the <laughs> other way. It's been, oh, the other team is in trouble. Yeah, But today, down the stretch, when it mattered, it was not that way. Northwestern was so aggressive defensively, and they finally got some shots to fall when they needed it to, and, and Purdue's guards weren't up to it. You know, that was the thing, too, that um, when Edie's getting swarmed the way he was, that just makes it all the more important that your guards can step up, present themselves for kickouts, and hit open shots, and those guys just couldn't do it. So it's, I still don't think there's a lot of intrigue as to the big 10 title race. I mean, they're two games up in the loss column on IU and Northwestern. And realistically, I don't think anybody's catching Purdue, but it, one thing it does is I think it's going to mean the big 10 tournament is going to be very interesting because if Purdue falls back to the pack a little bit, then you are truly talking about the most wide open year in the Big Ten tournament I could I've ever seen. I mean, you just said there's like a million teams at eight and six or eight and seven or seven and seven. I mean, it's just <laughs> trying crazy. to sort trying to sort out what's going to happen in that thing. Good luck. Um, so that's going to be it's going to be interesting. But it was a it was a hell of a day um, for Michigan State fans, I think. To, to see you win a, a game that impressively on the road. And then, you know, as I say, to watch, watch this team that, that some people have felt was in near invincible. Well, they've now lost. Is it two in a row or two of their last three, whatever the it last is. Three, they, lost yeah, they beat Indiana. Iowa. That's right. They, they beat, lost Indiana. They beat Iowa and they've lost this. So they lost two straight road games. Right. So are, does that mean Purdue's reeling? I'm not going to go that far. But it does mean that there are some chinks in the armor that are showing up that I think we've kind of felt we're going to be there. But the longer it goes without it happening, you then, at least speaking for myself, you start to wonder, well, God, maybe they are better than I've thought. And a day like today, you know, tells me that if you're a Michigan State fan, you know, there's a chance that you can go into that Big Ten tournament thinking big. I, I would like another shot at Purdue on a neutral court. Yeah. You know, so we'll see what happens. There's certainly not a team you trust right now. And it's two games, but boy, I tell you what, they got to play Indiana again. They've got to play, um, uh, they got another tough game too. I can't remember who they have to play, but I don't, it's not, it's certainly not over. Uh, but you're right. It probably, it probably is, but there's, we saw Maryland collapse and fall pieces a couple of years ago. Right. And so anything is possible. This would, this would be, much bigger than that in my opinion i mean because that maryland team all due respect to them they didn't have somebody like zach Eady. nobody's had anybody like zach Eady. i mean it's that much of a unicorn thing to have a seven four seven five whatever the hell he is seven three guy 
who's playing that way. It's just so, uh, you know, I, I was watching this game and Northwestern, especially down the stretch, had Matt Nicholson playing a lot, who's a seven footer from Clarkston. Was a high school teammate of Foster Lawyers, and you know, blah blah, and, and Fletcher Lawyer for a while too. By the way, um, Matt Nicholson, seven feet tall. He's a big human being, real big. Doesn't look big against Zach Eady. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, well, uh, well, we'll see how things play out. Obviously, Michigan State will have their next game is at at home against Minnesota, which I guess you could say is maybe a trap game. Is Minnesota's coming off? Yet another loss. Their only win is, interestingly, at Columbus. Uh, so they'll be they lost by twelve today to uh, Iowa in a very un- with an uninspiring uh, performance by the Hawkeyes. So we'll have your pregame before then. And so until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.